Hello, and thank you for joining us today. As always, it is such a pleasure and a blessing to be with you. Today, our message is, are we living in the end times? So I'll start with this and pose that question to you. What do you think? Are we living in the end times? And before we get to this message, I want to tell you a little bit, a little bit more about my story and, and how it goes along with the end times. Shortly after I became a Christian on April 13th, 1997, I became almost obsessed with end time prophecy. I, I read, obviously I read the Bible. I read every bit of information that I could get. Uh, I, I just couldn't get enough. And then the Lord laid it upon my heart that my heart wasn't in the right place. And, and rather putting things in perspective, I totally changed and went completely away from reading any end time prophecy and, and just concentrated on the Bible. And then I came to realize that both of those perspectives are obviously wrong. 25% of the Bible is prophecy. The Bible presents many prophecies that will occur in the end times. And because the Lord Jesus talked about it, because it is in the Bible, it's obviously relevant. And the Lord tells all of his followers. He tells us in the Bible. He tells us before he does things. End time prophecy is categorized in several different groups. The first would be natural signs. Then we have spiritual signs, sociological signs, technological signs, and of course, political signs. Now we must remember that the big, the big question is, are we living in the end times? Absolutely, we're living in the end times. From the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, we are living in the end times. There is no question. The better question to ask is, are we living in a time that is close to the fulfillment of the rapture? Close to the fulfillment of the seven years of tribulation, the coming of the Antichrist, and ultimately the thousand-year reign of Jesus here on this earth. Now, to answer these questions, we have to look at Scripture. Luke 21 gives us a list of some of these natural signs that will occur before Jesus' ultimate coming. Luke 21.11 says this, There will be great earthquakes, and there will be famines and plagues in many lands, and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from the heavens. Now, that doesn't mean that we interpret every natural disaster or everything that might fit into this and read it into the Bible. For us, we are to read the Bible and to see what plays out in the world. Over time, we will see an increase in natural disasters. Matthew 24, verses 8, Jesus calls this, the birth pains. We know this time, this ramp up towards the end of times, and this time close is called the time of sorrows. Now, the Bible lists positive and negative spiritual signs. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, we see many people will follow false teachers. Many people will be led astray. We even see that now in an increase in heresy, people following cults, deceptions, both worldly and spiritually. We see with this new rush of people that are going towards new age religion and, and pagan religions. Now on a positive note, Joel 
chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, Joel prophesies that there would be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the end times. And Joel's prophecy was fulfilled during the day of Pentecost. But we are still seeing the effects of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit even today with Christian-led movements. And ultimately with the worldwide preaching of the gospel message. So along with the signs that we see both in the natural and the spiritual, we also see signs in society. We see that immorality is running rampant in society. We see that there is rebellion against God. There is abortion, homosexuality, drug use, child molestation. These are all proof that evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, We are now living in a hedonistic and material society. That's what it says. People are lovers of themselves, looking out for only for number one. And they do what is right only in their own eyes. All of these things and many more can be seen every day. When we look at the technological effects and we compare that to Scripture, the fulfillment of some of the end-time prophecies seem impossible without modern-day technology. Some of the judgments in Revelation are more easily imagined with a nuclear age. In Revelation 13, the Antichrist is said to control commerce by forcing people to take the mark of the beast. These tools, and we look at how the gospel can be preached throughout every nation, when we look at radio, the internet, television, the gospel is now proclaimed to the entire world. And we are able to see these things happening within the world. You see, one of the things... And there are many to describe here, but one of the things that has always stood out to me, even from the time I was an early Christian, was this verse in Revelation chapter 11, verses 9. Now, let me tell you, there's these two witnesses that will come and they will speak against the Antichrist. They have control over nature and when it rains. They're able to defend themselves. But once their message has been declared... Scripture tells us that the Antichrist, the the beast, is able to kill these two. And they lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And Revelation 11, 9 says this, And for three and a half days, all people, all tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. Now, the reason that scripture is so significant is we live in a modern time now where we don't really understand and we don't think back to when John wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. How would it have made sense for him that all people, that's what it says, all people, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at the bodies only with the advent of modern technology where we're able today to see exactly what is happening, be it through FaceTime, video call, or even through satellite that the, na- that the, that the news is used. You know, when I was young, there were three channels on TV, and you might find out what happened on the other side of the world the next day. Now we can see things in real time. So when this was written t- 2,000 years ago, 
to make a prophecy and say that all nations will be able to see this take place, that all people will be able to see this take place, would have made absolutely no sense. In fact, it would have made no sense until the last 20 or 30 years. We see political signs. Starting with probably the most important is the restoration of Israel in 1948. Scripture tells us that in the last days, the people of Israel will be brought back to their land. And you say, in this day and age, people don't really understand that because unless you were around and old, old enough to realize the geography and the names of certain lands before 1948, Israel did not exist. The land of Israel did not exist. And we must remember that the Bible always says in the end times, Israel, Israel will be a nation. It talks about Israel. And we have to remember from 70 AD, from the time the Romans ransacked Israel, the Jews were scattered throughout the world. We know what Hitler did to the Jews in World War II. They were scattered throughout the world. But yet prophecy for 1900 years talked about what would happen in Israel when the Jews were in Israel. Now, unless you were alive and understood the Bible and understood Bible prophecy before 1948, a lot of people said, well, that's just symbolic. It's, it's the Jews and where they used to be in the land that they used to have. But it's interesting. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 14 says this. It says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home to your own land. This is a a prophecy that was written that was fulfilled in 1948. Jerusalem is definitely the epicenter of all geopolitical measures, and it stands alone against its own enemies. When we watch the news today, we realize that while we have the Abraham Accord now where they're starting to make peace, Israel's past has, been, has always been at war with the regions around them. And Scripture tells us that there will be a moment where it looks like peace right before the end times for Israel. Zechariah 12.3 says this, On that day I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. Matthew 24, verses 6 through 7. Jesus says this, And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. You see, these are just a few signs that show that we are in the time before the end times. There are many more. God gave us these prophecies because He didn't want us to perish. He always gives ample warning before He does something. Scripture tells us this. So are we living in the end times? Are we living in that time that is right before 
the rapture, right before the Antichrist coming on the scene, right before all of prophecy to be fulfilled, I must remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows the day or the hour of these things that will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father. But then Jesus says this. Now learn the lesson of the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things, you can know His return is very near, right at the door. No one knows the day or the time of Jesus' return. But the rapture will, will happen in a moment. When Jesus talks about the rapture, he says this in Matthew 24, verse 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is what the way it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, two men will be working together in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. So you too keep watch, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. So what is Jesus saying here? He is saying that it will be as if it was in the times of Noah. And why is that significant? It's significant because it will be business as usual. You see, in a lot of our minds, in my mind when I was younger, is that before this happens, there's going to be all this calamity and all of these terrible things. And Jesus says, no, there will be wars and rumors of war. There will be earthquakes. There will see, we will see a perpetual increase of these things. But before, his rap, before the rapture, before the snatching away, before the church is immediately removed from the earth, it will be business as usual. God will not be pouring his wrath out on the world while people are at banquets and parties and having weddings, buying and selling, as some translations say. It will happen in the blink of an eye. What we must be mindful of are the birth pangs. But that's not the important part about this. It's not the reason that we're given Scripture. We're given Scripture as a warning. And like Jesus says here in verse 42, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. John 3, 36 says, And anyone who believes in the Son of Man has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. You see, it has nothing to do with the acts that we do. It has nothing to do with the good things that we do. It only has to do with what Christ did for us. Jesus said to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him. So while we know the truth of the end times is coming and that Jesus has warned us of this, he has told us that he will return. 
He told us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. He said that is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And then before Jesus' ascension to heaven, he gave us the great commission. And that great commission is to go into the world and make disciples of people. You see, Jesus didn't tell us about end times to make us fearful. We should not be fearful. He told us as a warning that he was going to come back to get his bride, to come back to get his church. He uses the analogy of a Jewish wedding, which we'll go into in a a future message. But this is a great and glorious time when 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 the groom comes and gets the bride and takes her to his father's house. This is a great and glorious time. There should be no anxiety about this. But we're told this ahead of time so that no one may perish. So that we can go out and fulfill the Great Commission. That we can make disciples of the nations. That the name of Jesus can be preached to every nation on this planet. So that the King, the Son of God, can return to this earth and take us to our rightful place. So as we look through the news and we look for, as I scroll through social media and see so many people either talking about the end of the world or teasing about the end of the world, it's on the hearts and minds of many people, but we as Christians must stay focused. We can't turn a blind eye to it, but we have to look and see what is at stake. And what's at stake is the souls of the people that may be lost. The souls of the people that don't know the Son of God. Because those people will be separated from, through eternity from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. Church, we need to be bold Now is a time that we should be bold as lions, that we should not let a day go by where we don't have Jesus on our lips, not not only on our mind and leading us and directing us in our lives, but he should be on our lips for other people. They should see the way we act, the way we live our life. We should attract them to us by the way that we live, and we should speak Jesus into the world. Because at some point in the future, whether it's tomorrow Next week, next month, or 2,000 years from now, there will come a time where the church is removed from this earth. There will come a time when Jesus comes to give judgment to the earth and to ultimately give judgment to people. It is our job, it is our duty as Christians to spread the gospel. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit would move you to start those conversations. That people's ears would be open so that this gospel could be spread to every person on this planet. So please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you care enough for us that you tell us these things ahead of time. That we are to know of your great and glorious appearance. 
And Lord, we thank you, those of us that, that follow you, that are on the road to becoming more and more like you, Lord, we, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the price that you paid for each one of us because you so love us. And we, Lord, we know it is our duty to go out and to preach the gospel and to, to make disciples of people so that they know the true understanding of your will. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that the Spirit would move throughout this earth. I pray that it would move with the conversations that we have with other people. Their hearts would be softened. We know that through through your Spirit, that the Holy Spirit working on people can move them to repentance. Lord, we just ask that the people that we have conversations with, the people that come up and and ask us or inquire of us, that, that we are not fearful, that we don't turn away from that conversation, but that we are bold, that we are bold as lions in this time, in this day and age, that we would speak. That it doesn't matter what might be popular now, You told us, Lord, that we would be hated for your namesake. Lord, I just pray that you would move us so that we could have that holy privilege of speaking the name of Jesus to every person on this planet so that you can return. We thank you so much. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're joining us today and you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, and you don't know necessarily what all of this is, but there is something inside of you that is telling you this is true. That your spirit cries out knowing that that this is true. You see, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, as I mentioned before, it doesn't matter how many good things you you do. You have already done so bad because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Scripture tells us. And that is why God had to come to earth in the form of a man That Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died and rose from the dead as payment for our sins. So that anyone that called upon His name would be saved. Scripture tells us that if we repent and we believe, then we can be saved. And you say, saved? Saved from what? Saved from eternal separation from God. You see, heaven is being with Jesus. If you want to be with Jesus, that's what heaven is about. You see, a lot of people and a lot of preachers say, do you want to go to heaven? That's the wrong question. The question is, do you want to be with Jesus? Because Jesus is where heaven is. And God is a gentleman. And if you turn God away, when your life ends, 
There's a separation between you and God. And the fruits of the Spirit, the Scripture tells us, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you would live in a place that has none of those things. The Bible describes that place as hell. It is punishment. It is separation from God. It is the judgment of God. So if that's you today, and I don't tell you that to scare you, that's just the truth. If that's you today and you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Scripture tells us, as I said, you, if you repent and believe, you repent for your sins and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you can be saved. And there is no special or specific prayer that someone has to pray to be saved. It is a, it is a, it is a movement of the heart. It is an acknowledgement of your faith. It is a proclamation of your voice that saves us. So if that's you today, and you ultimately want to give your life and follow Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today. You can repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and desperately in need of a Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. That you came to this earth and lived a sinless life. That you died and rose from the dead as payment for my sins. I accept that. I believe that. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for allowing me to spend eternity in heaven with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that's you today and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, we want to hear from you. Please email us, message us, so that we can celebrate with you. The Bible tells us that for, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Be sure that you pray. Read the Word of God and get plugged into a local Bible-believing church. And as always, please like, share, subscribe, whatever your choice of social media so that this message can reach more people for Christ. God bless you.